Um, most of you are uh, working uh, in various fields, and a lot of your fields of work depend on what you know, you know, in your head, the knowledge you have, and the, the, the intellect. But as we live life, we realize that life itself, though, cannot be lived by a textbook. There's no manual for how to live life. Faith is the same way. Faith is not about the knowledge that I have in my head. It's not about what I know. Faith is about what resides in our heart. The lawyer in today's story didn't really know this. So when he asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He gave a response, and Jesus said, that's the right answer. He knew the right answer. I mean, I think this guy, he studied a lot, and he's very insightful. There's 613 commandments in the Torah, in the law, uh, which is in our Old Testament. 613 different commandments on how people are supposed to live life. And he was able to boil and distill them down into the two most essential laws. Love God and love your neighbor. So clearly he knew the right answer. But he didn't really grasp what this meant or really looked like in real life. So when he asks this question, who is my neighbor? Do you get what he's trying to do is you, the command is to love your neighbor. So he's asking who is my neighbor. He's trying to define who his neighbor is so that he knows whom to love and whom he doesn't have to love. Right? It's kind of a, that's what lawyers do, right? They, they take a line. Ah, whom do I need to love and whom do I not have to love? Well, he, he missed the whole intention of God's law. Loving your neighbor is not about loving those who meet that definition of your neighbor. And, and then not loving those who don't. The heart of this command is to take care of those people around you who need help. Those people who need help, that's your neighbor. That's the essence of that law. So you don't choose whom to help. You help those whom you come across who need it. So Jesus uses the example of the priest and the Levite in this story. They're religious leaders. They know the law. You might expect them to know this law that's all important. But when they saw this man that's half dead on the road, they passed by on the other side. I'm sure they had reasons to do this. You know, and, and the road to Jericho, it's not safe, so it's dangerous. So maybe there's that. As a priest, you're not supposed to defile yourself with a, a corpse. So maybe there are religious reasons for him to pass by. Whatever the reasons were, they were not moved to action. This man was not their neighbor. This Samaritan, however, he was moved with compassion. Those are the words from the scripture. He was moved with compassion for this man on the road. To the hearers of, of Jesus' time, this would have been kind of shocking because the Samaritan was the person you would least expect to follow God's commands. You know, Samaritans, they were uh, considered religiously impure or deviant. They're, they're like half Jews. 
You know, like the northern kingdom of Israel was taken over by Assyria. They brought in all sorts of foreigners to mix and intermingle. And so they're the descendants of these people. So they kept elements of the Jewish faith, but they also incorporated a lot of other uh, practices from different lands. And so uh, the Jews of uh, Jerusalem, they looked upon them, oh, those guys, uh, that's an impure faith that you are practicing. And so they, would leave, they wouldn't expect those people to follow God's commands because they're impure. But Jesus shows this man to be the one who loved his neighbor. He was the one in tune with eternal life. A neighbor, according to God's law, is not someone we define or choose. It's not someone that we decide to include in our circle or not. A neighbor is someone whom we come across that needs our help. So the key thing is we do not decide who our neighbor is. The need decides. We do not decide who our neighbor is. The need decides. And when that need comes our way, There's really only one of two responses. We pass by on the other side or we're moved with compassion to help. I'm not talking about tackling like these, the greatest challenges of the world. I'm talking about everyday encounters that call for some compassion and help on our part. When someone needs our help, are we moved with compassion to do something? Or do we pass by on the other side? There are many reasons for us to pass by on the other side. But the question we have to ask ourselves is that. What do we do when there's a call for compassion? Is your heart numb? How we respond to the need around us reflects the spiritual condition of our heart. I think that's what this passage is really telling us, what Jesus is saying. And if we are honest, I mean, life in this world, it makes our hearts numb. I, I feel this too all the time. We are, I mean, inundated and saturated with images of suffering. Not only that, the demands on our emotional energy are so high every day. And we are just so busy with our own lives. It becomes too much for our senses to bear. And so the easiest thing to do is to shut off or turn off our hearts. Mentally and emotionally, we pass by on the other side to the suffering around us. And it's so much easier to choose and define who our neighbors are. Because once we define who our neighbor is, is, then yes, I can love my neighbor. I can operate within this sphere. It's, this is what I can control and what I can do. I can find, and I find safe refuge and comfort in my neighborhood. I enjoy it there, and I find good support there. So if I belong to a group of neighbors, then I am fortunate. And many of us are part of these good neighborhoods, so we are blessed and fortunate. But what about those who don't belong? Because when I choose who my neighbors are, then I draw boundaries. 
people are either in or out of my boundaries. Those who are in it, I love. Those who are not, I don't. Those who are within the boundaries, they enjoy love of that community. And those who are not, they don't. The only thing is, if we all live like that, the world becomes one of haves and have-nots when it comes to neighbors. There are those who have neighbors and those who don't. That's the kind of world that becomes. Those who have good support have good support. And those who don't, don't. And this good support of neighbors, it becomes exclusive to those in that neighborhood. And what happens then? Those who don't have these neighbors, they will suffer on their own. When they go through hard times, there's nowhere for them to go. People who are left out, they grow resentful from being rejected. And that resentment fuels animosity. And that animosity, when not managed, will boil over into conflict. And then those who do have these neighbors, they'll seek to defend themselves from those who are trying to hurt or harm them. And then that will further alienate and distance these people from the non-neighbors. So I just wonder, is it really possible for us to live in a world where we can all be neighbors to one another, just like the Samaritan man was to the man on the road? Is that too idealistic in thinking? I used to, at one point, be an avid fan of the show uh, The Walking Dead. You know, the, I mean, the, the surface premise is a zombie apocalypse, but, uh, I mean, the show is really more about that. That's just the premise, but it's really about how people deal with adversity. I mean, it's, it's just a searing look into people and human nature. You know, to survive, they have to band together because with others, because you can't survive on your own in a zombie apocalypse, right? And in other words, they need to find the right neighbors that will band together and support one another. But whom can they trust, right? Whenever they trust someone, someone violates that trust and then the group gets hurt. And so uh, in the main characters, there's always this ongoing inner conflict among them. You know, to be a community that welcomes people and, and to help them, because they want to, but then they also have to be on guard against uh, being harmed. And so they're fighting to preserve their humanity in the world that's lost it, both literally and figuratively, right? And to be the kind of people they desire to be without succumbing to their worst instincts. Yes, this is a world that, in which it's hard to be a good neighbor. It's very hard. It seems like wishful thinking. It is wishful thinking. But this is God's wishful thinking. It is God's hopeful thinking for this world. God's heart has always been with those who don't have neighbors. To those who are left to suffer on their own. Throughout the whole Bible, the Bible is a story of God who seeks out and welcomes the stranger and the alien in our midst. It is for these people that God made this command to love your neighbor. And this was the essence of Jesus' ministry on earth. 
This is how he saw himself as he read from the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus did his ministry among those who were not deemed worthy to be neighbors, those not deemed worthy to receive love. And the irony is that the people who deemed them not worthy were religious leaders. This was the response during Jesus' ministry. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, being Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. For these religious leaders, moral purity and having, quote, good neighbors became more important than compassion. It was more important to avoid bad neighbors than it was to show mercy. And to eat with sinners and be with them would be to taint their purity. And so they separated themselves from those they deemed bad neighbors, sinners. I mean, throughout the Gospels, it's so clear that for Jesus, what is more important? For Jesus, compassion and mercy always triumph over moral purity. Compassion and mercy always triumph over moral purity. Jesus went to and ate with those deemed unacceptable. Jesus was a neighbor to the neighborless. And then this is after life of Jesus too. This is how the Holy Spirit led the early church in Acts. You know, mission and evangelism, they're not things that people just kind of sat down and planned and strategized about. They were led by the Holy Spirit through their circumstances. You know, the early Christians in Jerusalem, they started to get persecuted, so they scattered. They scattered to places like Samaria and into other regions where there were Gentiles, non-Jews. At first it was hard, but in these new places, the Spirit led them to love those previously deemed unlovable. Those who were outside their former boundaries of who their neighbors were. That's what happened. This is how the church evangelized and grew in the early days, by being neighbors to the previously unlovable. I believe this is how the Spirit wants to lead the church now too. Being a neighbor is not something we just sit down and think about and strategize about with our brains. It is something the Spirit leads us to. So we don't need to rack our brains and think of how we can be good neighbors. Simply live your life, and along the way, God will present opportunities for you to be compassionate. And so when these opportunities present themselves, simply be faithful to that opportunity. See it and be moved to action. The very definition of compassion is come and passion. Come is with, and passion is suffering. So suffering with. That is what it is. So without intentionally planning it, you will always have opportunities to suffer with others. You know, the retreat that we just had, 
uh, two weeks ago. It was such a beautiful experience of sharing our lives together. Together, you suffered with the pain of others as they shared things of their heart. It was not something you planned out intentionally, but when you were there, you were open and faithful to that time of being there with each other. So just live your life and be faithful to the opportunities that God presents to you. Compassion is not something we get just because we want it. Compassion is a spiritual discipline. It's a quality that's developed through practice. The practice of serving and being present to others. Through serving others, you build, you learn compassion. You build the muscles for it. And often it comes about very painfully. As Pastor Dave prayed, this past week we began uh, four weeks of our summer camp. And uh, we had 15 counselors who answered the call to serve. I mean, they didn't have to do this. I think for most of them, obviously, it was a job, so they took it. But this is the thing about life, guys. You may do something with one intention, but somehow it becomes a calling or opportunity for something else. So this job became an opportunity for them to love the kids who had come. I told them uh, during training that the only main agenda of this camp is to love the kids for who they are. We may not have the most polished programs, but we have a secret weapon, I said, and that is our love. That's what's going to make this the best summer camp ever. Then again, that's nice in theory, right? But once the camp began, the hard realities of loving kids became apparent. I mean, after the first day, they're so exhausted. They're wiped, right? Because not only are they kids, these are kids who have not had uh, socialization outside of school since the pandemic began. So you can imagine how crazy and running amok they, are, they were. And so even after the first, they're just drained. And then on the second day, Tuesday, it rained all day, so they were stuck indoors. So you can imagine stir-crazy kids, right? So after that, I think they were so uh, discouraged. They were like, oh, and some of them were like, I, I don't ever want to have kids. I can't do this. <laughs> and then they were like, this is day two. How am I going to get through four weeks of this? Right? And it was really hard and tiring. And they learned really quickly that it's really hard to love kids who don't listen to you. <laughs> Welcome to the world of parenthood, right? This is why all the parents are we're sharing. We're just losing it every day. And it's hard to love kids who don't, like, respect you and who don't seem to reciprocate what you give. So they're learning in a real way what it means to love someone and care for someone. But over the week, you know, they've adapted and they're, they're, they've made adjustments and, and they're learning. So I think this is a real precious opportunity to build these muscles of compassion. And that's how we see it. You know, the Samaritan man, he didn't take care of this uh, man all by himself. He took him to the inn and then he had to attend his own business, right? He had to go. So he asked the innkeeper, hey, while I'm gone, can you please help take care of him? And, you know, whatever else you spend, uh, I'll pay you back when I return. In other words, it took a community to take care of this person in need. Yes, it takes a community to live out compassion. We're not called to carry the whole load by ourselves. And so at the end of the week, many of the counselors, they're sharing. Uh, it was hard, but 
what was able to help carry them through the week was the support of fellow counselors. You know, when, when some felt no strength to carry on, they received strength from another. When some felt lacking in, in certain areas, someone else contributed their gifts to complement their own. And as they were sharing this, it was a beautiful time of experience, experiencing being raised up by one another. And so together, they were able to get through the week and prepare for another week to come. And together, they were able to love the kids. It takes a community to show mercy to those in need. That's why one of the pillars of our church mission statement is to be a compassionate community. Yes, we are compassionate together. We're compassionate to one another and we practice that and learn that with one another. And then together we reach out to those who need help. And so I pray that we may do more of this as life continues to emerge from our pandemic. So from this passage and this story today, we learn that spiritual maturity, it's not knowing the right things or having the right beliefs. It's not about religious piety and devotion per se. I mean, those are very good things, but those are means to grow in our relationship with God. Those are not the ends. The end of spiritual maturity is having a heart that is moved with compassion. It's having a heart that becomes awakened by the suffering of someone in our midst. This is the kind of compassion that we need in our world today. So for our young people, you know, while you're figuring out your careers and what job to do, always make room to serve others because this muscle of compassion will be so important for your life. And those who are older in our midst and are nearing retirement and thinking about it, this is just a retirement from your job. It's not a retirement from serving and having compassion for others. I think it's retirement, reflecting on this, it's retirement from a career of earning a living, but it's a transition into a new calling of service and compassion because there's more room now to do so. So yes, enjoy the fruits of your labor, enjoy your life, enjoy family, but be more free now as well to serve and live with compassion. For all of us, God has plans to bring people into your life and your way to care for them with love and wisdom. The prophet Micah said this, he has told you, referring to God, God has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Do this and you will live. So Jesus answered the lawyer's question on how to inherit eternal life. See the needs of those around you. Work up the muscles of compassion to be moved and to serve them. So let us continue to do that day in, day out. And let us sing together.